ladies and gentlemen, it's great to have Christopher Brooks with me. Hi, Christopher. Hi, Gregorio. How are you? Thank you. And thank you very much for being here. It's really a great opportunity to have you on this podcast. We collaborate several times through the Customer Experience World Games and so on. I was on your podcast and it's a great pleasure to have you on my podcast. For the people that perhaps don't, you, don't know you very well, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. No, thanks for inviting me into yours. I'm loving your uh, your content. It's great to be a part of it. Um, so my name is Christopher Brooks. Uh, I head up uh, a consultancy, CX consultancy called Clientship, uh, working with a, a number of organisations across the world, looking at all aspects of customer centric transformation. Um, I also am very active in uh, the CX community. Uh, big fan of giving more than you get. It seems to work um, and really love to see kind of the progress in others as, as my reward is kind of my, my motto, um, which has meant um, some interesting initiatives, um, being involved in, in, in books, collaborating in books, um, setting up something called the Customer Experience World Games, which I know you're a part of and will no doubt talk about. Um, and, and also other kind of, I do quite a bit of um, coaching and mentoring um, as well for individuals who put their hand up and say, can you help? So uh, yeah, all good stuff. Yes, I, I can confirm that. And you said something like, I want to give more than what, what I get. And I want really to say also on this podcast, I was part of the Customer Experience World Game 2020. It was an outstanding experience. We are going to discuss about experiences, but it's really the best experience I had in 2020. It was great from three points of view. The number one, the people, because I learned uh, quite a lot of new people. And it was really a great team. I was part of the ambassador with, with Jonathan Daniels. It, it was really, really great people, outstanding minds, great minds. And, and what the second one, the second point for me relevant is I learned a lot. I am for sure now better at customer experience after going through this customer experience world game because it was really, really good to work together. Experts from all around the world uh, with people from, from different countries. It was really good. And, and for sure also the purpose of the customer experience world games for charity purposes or their fundraising to support uh, um, the, the surge of, of people and so on. It was or SMEs and so on. It was really a great, great experience. Thank you very much, Christopher. Also officially, I want I want to say that. Oh, it's very kind of you. I mean, it's, it's great to hear those things. Um, the first thing you mentioned are kind of the softer benefits that we never really thought about when it happened. We thought, you know, if we can help some some causes, that would be great. Um, so it's just wonderful to hear, you know, talking so positively about it. But what I would say, and I say this all the time, is that it was just an idea. It was an idea and it really it was like starting a long race and just handing the baton over. And it was, you know, people like yourself who said, hey, let me run with this. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's very kind of you to say it was a great experience. We were making it up as we went along. Um, and at the end of the day, um, people who were playing still meet up, uh, which is great and encourage us to do it again. So, um, yeah, that for me is extremely fulfilling. That's my reward. Yes, and I can confirm that. I'm not sure in two weeks I'm going to have a digital meeting with uh, the ambassadors. <laughs> still one year after, but we, <laughs> we, we are still meeting. It's, it's really great. But let, let's really go to the customer experience war games. How did you came to this idea and what are the plans around customer experience war games? 
Well, it all starts, so we're involved heavily with um, a voice of the customer platform called Line Trophy. And we sort of were looking at what organizations were up to. IT, com IT functions were saying, look, we've got a lot of changes going through because of lockdown. And it sort of became evident that our own clients needed support as well. So we were helping them as much as we possibly could. Uh, and, and then at the same time, I was looking and seeing that there were individuals who I associate with who looked slightly lost about what the future of CX meant for them. So, you know, we've got the technology, there's not going to be lots of activity going on, new activity, and consultants kind of going, what do I do next? And I just had this concept of just playing some games, having some, let's just say, you know, might have called you up and said, look, I'm going to create a fictitious scenario and let's just try and solve it. How does that seem? And people went, yeah, that kind of sounds okay. And then um, I remembered I'd seen a guy called Jamie McDonald who runs the Superhero Foundation. And Jamie's dedicated his life in service of others. Um, what he does, though, he realizes that people who, uh, parents who have children who are not well, um, they get so much more out of it. And the fundraising is much better if they are invested in it themselves rather than getting, you know, uh, other people to raise the money. If they do it themselves, it's so much more fulfilling. And I love this idea. And I kind of called him up and said, look, we're doing these games. Be great to get you involved in some respect. You know, what about it kind of just came on the phone call if we did something for you? And he went, oh, man, that would be great. But I've got a little eight year old boy called Dylan who's not very well. And he had a charity fundraiser planned outside can't happen but his brain tumor is still growing can you help him and it was like we weren't i wasn't expecting that back and then it all of a sudden became we can do this but let's turn it into a game let's make it fun for people to take part in and let's make this the first of a number of challenges and then the layers sort of happened you know spoke to some good people like jonathan daniels and james dodkins and adrian swinsco and heidi stone and they said hey yeah we'll get involved we'll be captains and before we knew it we'd built it up it was called the customer experience world games we had 175 people playing from 35 different countries around the world so it was random you didn't know who you're going to be put with it could be very odd time zones we're sorry about that but we didn't really think about that uh, it could have been you know the, the head of customer experience versus a ux designer it could be someone in banking playing with someone in, in a retail supermarket. So it was very mixed diversity of people, um, which worked. It really worked. And what we found as well, Gregorio, was the right sort of people come. And I don't say that disrespectfully because it, it was a volunteer operation. You needed to not think about the short-term gain. You needed to think about creating better outcomes for other people. That's all that mattered. And the byproducts, the fact that people learned like yourself, they got to meet with other people, was never part of our thinking, but we're so grateful that did actually get, get delivered. And at the end of it, we had a number of challenges solved. We had, um, do you remember, we had a high street retailer, a cafe, uh, had, a, had a challenge. Um, we had a company that were looking at wearables for children to measure social distancing and, and washing. We had um, a bus company where the bus drivers were kind of left and they need an employee experience program. And then we also finished with um, a focus on our own industry and uh, an events company that was struggling because everything had shut down. And when we completed it, everyone said, do it again. So uh, we kind of went, absolutely, we've got to do it again. So we're in 2021 now, and we're off and running once again. 
and I think that's the best uh, thing to hear because it's 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 really what you are saying and we are feeling getting the passion that that, that you have about this topic. It's it's it was really great and what you said only to mention one 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 topic. It's about the diversity of the mentality. People coming from different industries, from different countries, the UX designer helping the customer experience, um, head of customer experience together with somebody in consulting, putting their skills and make them available for the teams in order to create amazing experience for, for this customer. And it was really, really outstanding. Now I saw that you are running the Customer Experience World Game 2021 in Latin America, is correct? Yeah, so we got approached by um, CXGO, who are a, 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 an association in South America. Um, and they said to us, we'd like to have a go at doing the games. And okay, this sounds interesting. So we met up with the guys and said, you know, well, why don't we create a Latin edition? So we, we said, we'll create a game that's played in Spanish. Um, and that's exactly what we've gone ahead and done. We've actually got 165 players from 17 different countries. There are seven teams. They've just solved a problem for a Mexican uh, micro business. They're now off to the Dominican Republic to look at a patient care challenge. Um, and they're absolutely loving it. And they're really, I mean, they're just giving it their all. And uh, what's great about it is I'm seeing it all again now on the, the, the positive banter. You know, we're going to be better than you. We're going to be better. No, we've got the best ideas. But they've also taken it on a bit further. So they've introduced a concept of actually video recording um, the, the entries. So all the captains play back the entries. So all of the players get to hear firsthand what everyone submitted. Um, we've got some great judges. We've got a professor of uh, CX from Chile, um, Patricia Gutman's involved. I'm getting to judge this time, which is great for me. Um, and it's and it's great. And it's, you know, it's to know that this can work in different regions is great. Uh, we've been approached to run a student version of it later in the year. Um, and we now know that we can drop it into a region and it, it kind of works. So, you know, the spirit of continuous improvement, we've learned some things last year to build upon it. It is still exactly, the, it's not even set up as a not-for-profit, it's just a volunteer thing. So we recognize people give their time and their talent. They give a lot of talent. They give as much time as they can afford. Um, and we we don't need to say this, I think, anymore, but we just say to people, just leave your business card at the door. Yeah, come in, and then you'll get so much more out of it. Just share openly, take back in. Um, and we've now created, uh, with the, the LATAM games, we've got over 50 um, entries, so case studies of how to do, and anyone who plays in the games gets access to the entire library. So it's theirs to take away. Um, and and it's, it's great, and it's great to see it kind of working in LATAM. Yes, and um, do you already have plans about having another, let's say, global version? Yeah, we're coming again. Um, so last year we did it, I think, in March, because it coincided with lockdown. We're going to go after the, um, the, the holy weeks in early April, so we're going to go to the middle of April, and we're doing another uh, worldwide games. So we've already started to recruit some captains and our judges. I'm delighted to announce that Dr. Professor Phil Klaus is going to be our head judge again. So he's he's come on board. Some of our captains from last year are going to become judges themselves. We've got some new captains coming on board. 
Um, and we've got some incredible uh, challenges. So we've we've got challenges coming in from the US. We've got cha challenges coming in from Pakistan. Um, challenges from from Europe. And I think this year, pretty much all of them are going to be focused on charities or um, social uh, social causes or community causes. That's really important. But there's a couple of additional things we're adding to the games this year, which I'm very excited about. The first is we're going to include a masterclass series. So um, on the basis that everyone loved learning last year, what we're going to create is as a number of masterclass uh, um, sessions for people to learn from. But they're not going to be run by the people you typically would think. We're opening it up to those who are out of work and are seeking an opportunity to share with others how great they are at what they do. So, you know, all, the, all those of us who are, are able to uh, command a, a, a wage through what we do, and we can enjoy the talents of these individuals. And remember, you know, there's very little between us and them. They're just, you know, it's just unfortunate situation. So we've got some incredible quality individuals who are going to be there giving masterclasses. So that's one thing that's different. And then the second thing that's different, and this was not my idea, it's just um, the incredible Heidi Stone, um, has suggested that we're going to create um, a program that lasts after the games. So for each of the challenges, we're going to invite three people to volunteer time for the for the six months after the games to take the ideas and help them come to life for the organizations. Because one of the things that we're very guilty of in customer experience is kind of doing the job and walking away. Um, and, it, and sometimes that doesn't mean it happens. So we're gonna stay around with the challenges and we're gonna ask people to give up time if they wish, not everyone will be able to, but those who can, to stay and become kind of very special envoys for the CX World Games. And then we can go back and share with everyone the progress that was made at the games, because we really do wanna make a difference. It's, you know, it's very important to do that. And there'll be a few other interesting pieces coming out. But yeah, there, there are a couple. Oh, um, the guys, uh, you know, uh, the guys, I know you do, the um, Neil Toff and uh, Paul uh, Carrington from the Fireside Chats Without a Fire. They run their podcast. They are going to be our sports commentators throughout the games. So they're going to set themselves up and we'll have a number of kind of LinkedIn live sessions, et cetera, throughout the games where they'll be interviewing players and captains and challengers. So we'll have a real kind of rapport going throughout the game. So we want to make it really sociable, really fun, um, attract a more diverse audience than we did last time. And uh, yeah, hopefully everyone will get a lot out of it this time as well. Sure. And I would say I officially apply to participate. Excellent. Excellent. You're, you're, my, you're my first wish list uh, entry. So uh, thank you so much. I know you got a lot out of it last year and you gave an awful lot as well. So I think you're kind of a role model for what we like in the game. So, so thank you for being a part of it. Thank you very much, Christopher. And really, I, the only thing that I can say about this customer experience world games is great minds created great experience. And it's what you are doing. And uh, I was expecting improvement, not such big improvements. And it's cool to hear that. It's really nice. You are raising the bar and uh, really happy to participate. And if we can help also from, uh, from a charity point of view with our time, that it's our most important asset, more than happy to do that. Mm. Great, great, thank you. I would like to touch base on another topic with you, yeah. Christopher. You wrote an, an outstanding chapter on customer experience too. 
last year and uh, I was really uh, enlightened um, because we had we discussed about this matrix you have another view on on the on this uh, value return matrix could you please elaborate how did you create this chapter what's about so I um, uh, well interestingly it started on a point of plagiarism so I was talking about uh, measuring behavioral change um, and how important it was to not focus on perceptive measures like satisfaction, etc. And I got a phone call from uh, Dr. Professor Phil Klaus, who was at Cranfield at the time. And he said, hey, I understand you are plagiarizing my work. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? Anyway, we got chatting and kind of, you know, he, he, he kind of said, you know, said it half jokingly, but he probed a bit and realized it wasn't the case. I just was completely aligned with his way of thinking. I've never come across him before. This was about seven or eight years ago now. And he said, let me tell you about my studies and the work I've been doing. And basically he, he unlocked this incredible treasure trove of research and shared with me the studies that he'd been doing to identify that there are a certain number of behavioral drivers which influence a significant proportion of our decision making and because they're actual changes as opposed to um, I tell you I'm going to recommend you to someone else or my sentiment says I'm satisfied but it could change these are things that were one state and became a new state they're a hundred percent reliable and it was incredible the more I looked at the study the more I understood it we worked out that 90 percent of all decision making could be attributed to 25 behavioral changes and those 25 behavioral changes when you spoke to customers they could brilliantly articulate them as customer experiences so oh my god now the thing that uh, that phil had he's an incredible brain and he's still to me the world's best academic at customer experience and someone i will always be indebted to for for helping me to see the, the, the a, good, a good path to follow but it's a very spiky language. It's a very academic language. So we work to kind of convert it into something that businesses could understand. And we go back and we work with those businesses in association with the work that Phil does. And they love it because they have something measurable now. This is where we were before. These are the things we needed to change. And this is where we go now. Now, Phil's work has actually allowed him to identify the revenue gain, the share of the return on investment. So if you need to make it commercial, you can. You don't chase a, you know, your prize is not a, a number. It actually becomes almost like a statement. Um, you know, this is where we were. This is where we want to be. And it gives the correct focus. So I've been very blessed to work with that. Um, I've seen it work in many countries, many industries. And that was what the basis of the book. I wanted to get that across. Phil had already written, written a book called Customer Experience Measurement. And it was the science of how you do it. I wanted to bring it to life in terms of practically how it would work in an organization. Um, and also then add to it this idea of, we call it the Milo matrix, which is about how you prioritize what you're gonna focus in on. And, it's, and I think I've, I've coined VIM from your value impact matrix. Um, it's, it's a similar kind of proposition or premise. It kind of says, you know, what matters most to customers? And we know that from the study and uh, what, the organization is uh, best at delivering. And therefore you end up with these four quadrants and there are four different strategies in terms of how you take your, customers, your customer experience improvements forward. So that's the premise of it. It's the science 
but we kind of, you know, we put it under the bonnet and then you just look at this lovely shiny purring car. You don't worry about what's under the bonnet. And then we, we, we create a framework which allows you to understand where to sort of focus. And, and, and thank you for saying that. I mean, I've had some really delightful feedback. I mean, it's a, it's a chapter amongst 22 and there's some brilliant stuff in there. But yeah, I must have had, I don't know, a dozen um, notes come back on LinkedIn to say, oh my God, this is just so helpful. So it's great to, to, to know that in a publication like that, you, you do manage to get standout. And I understand um, customer experience two is going to be surpassed by customer experience three, which you were contributing towards as well. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Uh, release date is the 25th of, uh, of March. We are mm -hmm. all keen. We are 28 um, authors. And um, I had the chance to have a look at uh, several chapters. It's, it's really an outstanding book. I'm really looking forward for, mm -hmm. uh, for the release date. But let's go back to customer experience too, because it was also <laughs> an outstanding book. And uh, based on the fact that you are on the show, on this podcast, I am really keen to get some additional insight about um, what, what you explained. Uh, first yeah. of all, you were speaking about these um, behaviors, behavioral changes. Uh, you, you mentioned yeah. 25th different behaviors. Could you make perhaps some examples sure. to make so, it more tangible? Of course. And, and what I'll say is it starts off with 300 behavioral drivers or 300 drivers account for 100% of our decision making. So you can imagine why we end up with something like satisfaction on net promoter score, because you can't ask someone and they can't answer correctly against 300 drivers. Well, what Phil done over time was to look and see what, what, are the, what are the ones that are coming up more often. And what you found, it was actually things that we talk about in customer experience a lot. So the way you resolve an issue, you, the way you manage my expectations, the consistency in the way that you deliver things. So these were things that were coming out as being demonstrations of when you do this well, I commit more to you. When you don't do this well, I commit less to you. And what we actually were asking was, what's important to you in this list? What's important to this particular category that we're talking about now? And the reason I say category, because what we found is, let's say it was supermarkets, okay? It wouldn't matter if I asked you about Carrefour or if I asked you about Leclerc in France. It wouldn't matter if I asked you about Intermarché. The variance between the category and the individual supermarkets didn't matter. What did matter was I asked you what your share of wallet was, what the share of contribution you give to each of these, because actually that was a greater influence. So I would tell you what matters. And in my mind, I can't think what matters between um, Intermarché and what matters between Ila Clark, but I know how much I spend in these places. And that may be... The, that then became the driver of actually understanding the difference. Now, the beauty of that is, and this is how it differs massively from uh, some of the perceptive measures like satisfaction. You don't ask in satisfaction, how satisfied are you with the competitors? But with e, this model is called EXQ, Experience Quality Measure. What it lets you do is to say, these are the things that are important to brand A, these things that are important to the customers who give the most. These are what matter to brand B, brand C and brand D. Another big difference here is that you actually give more authority and more prioritization to the customers who give you more share of category. With standard measures like 
advocacy and satisfaction, you don't know what that is. So Gregorio, you may well be, what is your football team? AC Milan. AC Milan, okay. So you may well have a season ticket of AC Milan um, and you might go all the time and you tell them, you know, actually I've been coming here so often, uh, I've got pretty fed up with the quality of the food. The food is not very good. And you're asked about it and you give a, a four out of 10. I pop along once, I come from England. The food in England is lousy. I go to Italy, I go to Milan, I go, oh my God, this food is amazing. I give you a 10. Now, in a normal study, we are equal. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? So actually with the executive say, no, no, Christopher, you're, you're, thank you for your feedback, but it's not important compared to Gregorio, who comes all of the time. And it therefore gives these, these, these weightings in there, give it real meaning and purpose. So what you find is that at the top of the list, you have some of the drivers, everyone has to deliver these. Everyone does. And on the matrix, you then kind of recognize, ah, we shouldn't include that one because this is expected. It will be like saying the car brakes work. It's like, hey, we all do that. We all have to have good car brakes. Uh, but it, you know, in, if it, a good example is in the modern world we're in, a click and collect or home delivery service. Uh, 2019, 16% of organizations had one. 20, end of 2020, 71% had it. So no longer is it you know, a, an opportunity to have an advantage. It's something you have to do. But as you work down these particular drivers, you might find one that is only important to your customers and not important to the others. That's your point of difference. So now with customer experience, you can identify what your brand distinction is. This is what makes our customers come back to us because of the experience versus the others. So it becomes a really powerful tool to help you understand how to prioritize. At the bottom of the list will be the things that actually, and you find this say 10 or 15 drivers might account for 20% of decision-making. And what we normally find is that's where organizations focus their efforts. And we say, why are you doing this? Your customers are saying, meh, it's not important to us. Stop doing it or manage it out or become more efficient. That's where automation works. That's where efficiency works. But invariably what happens is it's the top that people put the automation against, the efficiency against. And what are they doing? They're eroding their differentiation that they can get from their customer experience. So I found an incredibly powerful tool, really enlightening. And clients who kind of work with it go, oh, my God, this is so useful. And you can go back and find in what you really want to get to is we as consumers are pretty lousy at working out what matters most to us. So you want, as an organization, you want to be able to land on very few things that customers remember you for. So the more you stop investing in the things that don't matter and focus your effort in the things that do, the easier it is for customers to say there are three or four things that re represent 60% of the reason I, I come to you. They're the reasons I really come to you. And you then get greater distinction from your competition. So it adds a real competitive advantage. We work with one particular international organization and uh, you run the study probably every 18 months, two years, because you need to go away and make the changes. Yeah. Uh, and we went, we're now kind of year six with them. And the significant change they've got is that when we first started working with them, they were, we, we position, uh, present clients as either, they're either preservers um, so they're just doing what they need to get by. Uh, transformers, 
So there's evidence they're going in the right direction or they're, they're vanguards and few get to kind of vanguard level. But this organization was a preserver and it's at the top end of transformation after kind of five years. So they are now got to a point where customer centricity is becoming a lead discipline in the organization because they're hearing that the things that they were told to focus on have turned out to be the most important to the customer. And the more they spend time and effort on it, and the more they don't invest in the things that they thought were important, but the customer said weren't, then the greater the return and the more they're recognized for their distinction in customer experience, which is something they can own because the other things they have are price, product, availability, they're commoditized. So they've now got this true competitive advantage. So as I say, it's, it's a wonderful piece. Um, I get great joy working with EXQ. I love seeing it come out. No two companies are the same. So you get a unique DNA, it's original, and that's lovely. We, we blend what we see in terms of what matters most to the customers with the brand values. And it means therefore, you know, Netflix, HBO, they can have different things because their own values are brought into it. And it means that your customers then come to you for the things that matter most, but you present them in a way that only your brand can do it. So you can imagine your competitors sitting around and going, we can do that. And someone says, no, we can't because we're not them. So it gives you real ownership. And I think that's one of the things we don't always get in customer experience is you have to own, if you, mean, if you want to do something, you can own it. Disney could own opening a car park barrier in a car park. They could do it in a way that Ikea couldn't, in a way that um, Ritz-Carlton couldn't. All of them could, if it really mattered most, that particular experience, which could be in a kind of freedom, access and freedom, then, they could do that in a distinct way. So, yeah, it's, it's a great piece, Gregorio. And, and you know, I, I'm, I've been encouraging people, more and more people to look at it. The nemesis is it's quite complicated, you know, and, and sometimes we, we don't we don't see complication as good in customer experience. We want easy and easy invariably means you, you're going to be eroding some quality somewhere. Sure, I fully agree. And I could start now speaking about everything what you said, but the points that uh, that I would like to mention one is that it took six years to get there, and this is the time that also, for example, Ian Golding is saying that it takes to a company to have really a customer-centric transformation and to really be customer-focused. It's not something that it's mandated from the board of director. Now do that in three months, we speak again and you are customer centric mm. because it's related to quite a lot of other different points. And the, the example that you mentioned, I like it really very much. This is my view, perhaps is the wrong view, but the barrier opening, I would have also different expectation from Ikea, Disney and Ritz-Carlton, how they mm. open that. If I think about IKEA, it's something different than if I would think about Ritz-Carlton. And this is based on my previous experiences and also my perceptions uh, on a brand. And that's what you mentioned, putting the brand together. Mm. And sorry. When you get there, when you get there, it can be so powerful. So I'll give a good example. I won't name the, the client, but work, we work with a number of universities. And um, there's, you know, this... You could say, well, actually, it's a, it's a car park barrier. Does it really matter? But actually, when you understand what matters most to your customers, if they articulate that as an example or something close to it, then it matters to them. And you should think yes. about it. And a good example uh, university was I remember going in to see the particular university and they, um, uh, the person who I was taking me in um, said as I was going through the door to this person coming the other way, stop, we've got a visitor coming through. 
you know, I just, it's my first day, I was a bit uncomfortable, I went through. Went, Who was that? Oh, it's a student. So, oh, okay. And it kind of logged into me straight away, student. And then an, another time we did a, we were doing a piece looking at maintenance and things and um, talking to the team who um, go around and they just bang on the door, open the, the door, come to fix your light bulb. Uh, and both of those experiences were really, really poor for students. And the problem we kind of identified was the thing that mattered most was the recognition that these were not students. We changed the percent. These were leaders of the future. Yes. If I see a leader of the future coming towards me, I open the door for them every single time. If I'm going, I'm not going to put a light bulb in. I'm putting light. I'm illuminating some incredible document that potentially could change the future. And just that slight subtle understanding of what mattered most completely changed it. And I'm glad to say that if you do go to this particular institution now, then when the door is opened, it's the, we, it gets held open for students and they come through and they've done a million other things. In fact, they've won in all sorts of awards for their, their, their student experience and program. And, and it's really important to kind of understand what matters most, but then fuse it with your brand and this particular institution, it produces a lot of leaders of the future. So it was important that they did actually recognize in every touch point, that's what you're about. So whether it's a car park barrier, whether it's opening a door, there's a great an analogy I use and apologies if it's lost on you. I think in Italy, you have a, an, Air an Air Force display team. Is that correct? With the jets? Yes. Yep. They're, no. You're one of the world's best, don't you, in, in Italy? Yes, correct. And, 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 and the UK has one as well um, called the Red Arrows. Now, what's not so known is the Red Arrows, they are in awe of the Blue Arrows. And the Blue Arrows are the ground team, the ground team that make them look good. And it is only because of the Blue Arrows, and that's why they share the name, the Arrows, that the Red Arrows look so good. In fact, when the Red Arrows land, the first thing they do is they form an arch and they applaud the blue arrows. The blue arrows walk through and they make them realize they're absolutely fundamental. And I think that sometimes we forget that in terms of brand distinction. We just put it on the cherry on the cake or the icing on the cake, but actually the cake will be differentiated by the taste of the cake. And that's how you cook it, how you prepare the ingredients and what you put into it. That's where the brand lives. So for me, customer centricity is a real opportunity to evolve to the next level and become you know, brand centric. But to your point, it takes time. And, you know, you, you can't you can't necessarily get there overnight. Uh, and if you do go for a headline experience, it's very brand centric. People will look at it and say the, the analogy with the car, yes. Porsche, for instance, uh, work with Porsche. And you have to turn the water bottles into the dealership to all be facing the same way. It's all precision all the way through quality of the materials. If you do all of that, but then when you drive out, the thing won't start. You're not going to have customers hanging around for very long. So you've got to do the basics as well. It's really important to do that. Sure. Thank you very much, Christopher. It was an outstanding discussion, but now it's time to learn a bit more about you. And um, we know that you are very active in the customer experience world with all what you are doing and so on. How can you ensure to have um, a good uh, work-life balance or life-work balance? Okay, question. Well, um, I'm very fortunate. I, I, I'm a, um, a cup leader. So um, I get to spend a lot of my time thinking about um, how to help young children ages between eight and 10 and a half develop and grow. Um, the scouting movement has a great program 
um, which I love being a part of. We get to spend in the, in time in the outdoors, developing skills, um, techniques and badges. And uh, I've been doing that for about five years now. So I've had many kind of cubs go through the through the program. That's a great release for me. I really enjoy spending time in that space. And it is important to have those kind of, you know, those balances. Um, I have children who do very different things. One is an incredibly good hockey player. Um, so I, I, I get a lot of enjoyment watching him play hockey. He's very young. He's only 14, but he plays for a very high level men's team. So that's great to be a part of that. Um, and my other son is very much into his arts and crafts and creativity. So, you know, there's nothing better than kind of rolling your sleeves up and, uh, and making a snail out of crepe paper or something like that. So, so those things I, I, I really enjoy uh, as well. They take me away from the world we're in. Um, and uh, it means that when I'm in this world, I can be completely committed to it. Uh, that's 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 really very nice. It's it's family time and also being being uh, with the family. And um, perhaps if we are not speaking about customer experience two and customer experience three, the books because these are great books we are all aware of. Um, is there a book that you would suggest to the audience or a book that you say I'm reading it and I would yep. like to suggest it? Well, we 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 we've set up the uh, Lyotropy CX Book Club, uh, and every month we we invite a guest author in. So I think probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to reflect the last book I we had in there, which was Alex Allwood and Customer Empathy. It's an incredible book. She's a lovely lady, really nice lady, and it's all about the human experience. It's all about understanding how to read. It's a it's an easy word to use empathy, really easy, and it's dangerously used as well. But she talks about, you know, kind of how to be really authentic about it. And she gives some great examples. So she gives an example of, um, I won't reveal who, she should get the book, but a president who, you know, first thing he did was to spend a lot of time looking at all the feedback from the civilians and insisted that every member of staff did the same thing. So before they knew it, they didn't need the analysts. They all had the answers of what they needed to focus and prioritize on. So she's got some great examples in the book from other organizations. And she's also got a great section at the back, which is sort of 20 ways in which you can start to build customer empathy in your organization. It's a lovely read and you can just hear her coming off the pages, the passion in the topic. So yeah, on the basis I've read that one last and I really loved it. And everyone who reviewed it with us loved it as well. I'd recommend that book. Thank you very much. And I had the chance to, to watch the, the video about um, Adrian Zwinsel, the last, the second last uh, yes, that yeah. you discussed. And this is really a cool one. And, uh, and, uh, and I think it, it was really a good, good discussion with Alan. We love, we love Punk CX. They're like small little rabbit punches. Boom, do this, do this, do this, do this. You know, it kind of keeps challenging you. In fact, when we had Adrian on, um, the last thing he said was, you know, I'm going to set a challenge for you guys. Create a fun complaint process. And I, you know, that's just, that's Adrian all over. It's just great fun. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. No, clear. Um, perhaps um, somebody from the audience that would like to connect with you, what's the best way to connect with you? Sure, well, um, you can reach me on LinkedIn, um, Christopher Brooks. Uh, you can come to the clientship website to, to find me if, if you want to. Um, or if you want to sign up for the games, you need to go to lionthropy.com. Uh, there's a tab that says Customer Experience World Games and register and then you're you're in the loop and uh, you'll be you'll be part of the games going forward thank you christopher and the very last question is to your gold nugget it's something that we discussed or something new that you want to share to, to the audience that you want to leave to the audience um, I, I think it's probably that point around remembering in customer experience we're in service of other people 
We're looking to achieve better outcomes for other people, not ourselves. We're not in the equation. So if you feel that what you're doing is serving you rather than others, just stop and think to yourself, where am I compromising? Because someone else is losing out if you're gaining. If you can focus on delivering for other people first, then what you'll find is that eventually everyone around the table is benefiting. And keep going when you think about who other people are, customers, employees, supply chain partners, communities, society, even your competitors. Now that seems odd, but if you can make things so much better that your competitors go, oh my goodness, we've got to up our game to stay in the market, then you're truly delivering awesome customer experience. Thank you very much, Christopher. As usual, I'm not commenting your gold nuggets because it's your gold nuggets. The only thing that I want to say is thank you very much, Christopher, for being here. It was a great pleasure. Gregorio, it is always a pleasure talking to you and I wish you all the best with the continuation of this series. I look forward to hearing other people and thank you for inviting me on once again. Thank you very much, Christopher, and thank you very much to the audience. It was today a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Arrivederci.